0: chapter 9 of the soul of a people this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by carol fullerton samsel at clonesoflangston.com the soul of a people by h fielding chapter 9 happiness a Burmese saying, The thoughts of his heart, these are the wealth of a man. As I have said, there was this very remarkable fact in Burma, that when you left the king, you dropped at once to the villager. There were no intermediate classes. There were no nobles, hereditary officers, great landowners, wealthy bankers, or merchants. Then there is no caste there are no guilds of trade or art or science if a man discovered a method of working silver say he never hid it but made it common property it is very curious how absolutely devoid burma is of the exclusiveness of caste so universal in india and which survives to a great extent in europe the burman is so absolutely enamored of freedom that he cannot abide the bonds which caste demands he will not bind himself with other men for a slight temporal advantage he does not consider it worth the trouble he prefers remaining free and poor to being bound and rich nothing is further from him than the feeling of exclusiveness he abominates secrecy mystery his religion his women himself are free there are no dark places in his life where the light cannot come. He is ready that everything should be known, that all men should be his brothers. And so all the people are on the same level. Richer and poorer there are, of course, but there are no very rich. There is none so poor that he cannot get plenty to eat and drink. All eat much the same food, all dress much alike. The amusements of all are the same for entertainments are nearly always free. So the Burman does not care to be rich. It is not in his nature to desire wealth. It is not in his nature to care to keep it when it comes to him. Beyond a sufficiency for his daily needs, money has not much value. He does not care to add field to field or coin to coin. The mere fact that he has money causes him no pleasure. Money is worth to him what it will buy with us when we have made a little money we keep it to be a nest egg to make more from not so a burman he will spend it and after his own little wants are satisfied after he has bought himself a new silk after he has given his wife a gold bangle after he has called all his village together and entertained them with a dramatic entertainment sometimes even before all this he will spend the rest on charity he will build a pagoda to honour the great teacher, where men may go to meditate on the great laws of existence. He will build a monastery school, where the village lads are taught, and where each villager retires some time in his life to learn the great wisdom. He will dig a well, or build a bridge, or make a rest-house. And if the sum be very small indeed, then he will build perhaps a little house, a tiny little house, to hold two or three jars of water for travelers to drink and he will keep the jars full of water and put a little coconut shell to act as cup the amount spent thus every year in charity is enormous the country is full of pagodas you see them on every peak on every ridge along the river they stand there as do the castles of the robber barons on the rhine only with what another meaning near villages and towns there are clusters of them great and small the great pagoda in rangoon is as tall as st paul's i have seen many a one not three feet high the offering of some poor old man to the great name and everywhere there are monasteries every village has one at least most have two or three a large village will have many more would be built if there was anyone to live in them so anxious is each man to do something for the monks. As it is, more are built than there is actual need for. And there are rest houses everywhere. Far away in the dense forest by the mountainside you will find them, built in some little hollow by the roadside by someone who has remembered his fellow traveler. You cannot go five miles along any road without finding them. In villages they can be counted by tens. In towns by fifties, there are far more than are required. In Burmese times, such roads and bridges as were made in the same way by private charity. Nowadays, the British government takes that in hand, and consequently, there is probably more money for rest-house building than is needed. As time goes on, the charity will flow into other lines, no doubt in addition. They will build and endow hospitals they will devote money to higher education they will spend money in many ways not in what we usually call charity for that they already do nor in missions as whatever missions they may send out will cost nothing holy men are those vowed to extreme poverty but as their civilization their civilization not any imposed from outside progresses they will find out new wants for the rich to supply and they will supply them that is a mere question of material progress the inclination to charity is very strong the burmans give in charity far more in proportion to their wealth than any other people it is extraordinary how much they give and you must remember that all of this is quite voluntary with i think two or three exceptions such as gilding the Shwedagon pagoda collections are never made for any purpose there is no committee of appeal, no organized collection. It is all given straight from the giver's heart. It is a very marvelous thing. I remember long ago, shortly after I had come to Burma, I was staying with a friend in Tangu, and I went with him to the house of a Burman contractor. We had been out riding, and as we returned, my friend said he wished to see the contractor about some business, and so we rode to his house he came out and asked us in and we dismounted and went up the stairs into the veranda and sat down it was a little house built of wood with three rooms behind was a little kitchen and a stable the whole may have cost a thousand rupees as my friend and the burman talked of their business i observed the furniture there was very little three or four chairs two tables and a big box were all i could see inside no doubt were a few beds and more chairs while we sat the wife and daughter came out and gave us cheroots and i talked to them in my very limited burmese till my friend was ready then we went away that contractor so my friend told me as we went home made probably a profit of six or seven thousand rupees a year he spent on himself about a thousand of this the rest went in charity the great new monastery school, with the marvellous carved façade, just to the south of the town, was his. The new rest-house on the mountain road far up the hills was his. He supported many monks. He gave largely to the gilding of the pagoda. If a theatrical company came that way, he subscribed freely. Soon he thought he would retire from contracting altogether, for he had enough to live on quietly for the rest of his life his action is no exception but the rule you will find that every well-to-do man has built his pagoda or his monastery and is called school builder or pagoda builder these are the only titles the burman knows and they always are given most scrupulously the builder of a bridge a well or a rest house may also receive the title of well builder and so on but such titles are rarely used in common speech even the builder of a long shed for water-jars may call himself after it if he likes but it is only big builders who receive any title from their fellows but the satisfaction to the man himself the knowledge that he has done a good deed is much the same i think a burman's wants are very few such wants his money can supply a little house a sufficiency of plain food a cotton dress for weekdays and a silk one for holidays and that is nearly all they are still a very young people many wants will come perhaps later on but just now their desires are easily satisfied the burman does not care for a big house for there are always the great trees and the open spaces by the village it is far pleasanter to sit out of doors than indoors he does not care for books he has what is better than many books, the life of his people all about him, and he has the eyes to see it and the heart to understand it. He cares not to see with other men's eyes, but with his own. He cares not to read other men's thoughts, but to think his own, for a love of books only comes to him who is shut always from the world by ill health, by poverty, by circumstance. When we are poor and miserable, we like to read of those who are happier when we are shut in towns we love to read of the beauties of the hills when we have no love in our hearts we like to read of those who have few men who think their own thoughts care much to read the thoughts of others for a man's own thoughts are worth more to him than all the thoughts of all the world besides that a man should think that is a great thing very very few great readers are great thinkers and he who can live his life what cares he for reading of the lies of other people to have loved once is more than to have read all the poets that ever sang so a burman thinks to see the moon rise on the river as you float along while the boat rocks to and fro and someone talks to you is not that better than any tale so a burman lives his life and he asks a great deal from it he wants fresh air and sunshine and the great thoughts that come to you in the forest he wants love and companionship, the voice of friends, the low laugh of women, the delight of children. He wants his life to be a full one, and he wants leisure to teach his heart to enjoy all these things. For he knows that you must learn to enjoy yourself, that it does not always come naturally, that to be happy and good-natured and open-hearted requires an education. To learn to sympathize with your neighbors, to laugh with them and cry with them, you must not shut yourself away and work. His religion tells him that the first of all gifts is sympathy. It is the first step towards wisdom, and he holds it true. After that, all shall be added to you. He believes that happiness is the best of all things. We think differently. We are content with cheerless days, with an absence of love, of beauty, of all that is valuable to the heart. If we can but put away a little money, if we can enlarge our business, if we can make a bigger figure in the world. Nay, we go beyond this. We believe that work, that drudgery, is a beautiful thing in itself, that perpetual toil and effort is admirable. This we do because we do not know what to do with our leisure, because we do not know for what to seek, because we cannot enjoy. And so we go back to work, to feverish effort, because we cannot think, and see and understand work is a means to leisure aristotle told us long ago and leisure adds the burman is needed that you may compose your own soul work no doubt is a necessity too but not excess of it the necessary thing to a man is not gold nor position nor power but simply his own soul nothing is worth anything to him compared with that for while a man lives what is the good of all these things if he have no leisure to enjoy them and when he dies shall they go down into the void with him no but a man's own soul shall go with and be with him forever a burman's ideas of this world are dominated by his religion his religion says to him consider your own soul that is the main thing his religion says to him the aim of every man should be happiness these are the fundamental parts of his belief these he learns from his childhood they are born in him he looks at all the world by their light later on when he grows older his religion says to him and happiness is only to be found by renouncing the whole world this is a hard teaching this comes to him slowly or all buddhists would be monks but meanwhile if he does but remember the first two precepts he is on the right path he does do this happiness is the aim he seeks work and power and money are but the means by which he will arrive at the leisure to teach his own soul first the body then the spirit but with us it is surely first the body and then the body again he often watches us with surprise he sees us work and work and work he sees us grow old quickly and our minds get weary he sees our sympathies grow very narrow our ideas bent into one groove our whole souls destroyed for a little money a little fame a little promotion till we go home and do not know what to do with ourselves because we have no work and no sympathy with anything and at last we die and take down with us our souls souls fit for nothing but to be driven forever with a goad behind and a golden fruit in front but do not suppose that the burmese are idle such a nation of workers was never known every man works every woman works every child works life is not an easy thing but a hard and there is a great deal of work to be done there is not an idle man or woman in all burma the class of those who live on other men's labor is unknown i do not think the burman would care for such a life for a certain amount of work is good he knows a little work he likes a good deal of work he does because he is obliged often to do so to earn even the little he requires and that is the end he is a free man never a slave to other men nor to himself therefore i do not think his will ever make what we call a great nation he will never try to be a conqueror of other peoples either with the sword with trade or with religion he will never care to have a great voice in the management of the world he does not care to interfere with other people he never believes interference can do other than harm to both sides he will never be very rich very powerful very advanced in science perhaps not even in art though i am not sure about that it may be he will be very great in literature and art but however that may be in his own idea his will always be the greatest nation in the world because it is the happiest. End of chapter Nine.